0: Welcome to Straight Down the Middle. This is a replay of a former show uh, that was done in October with regard to a conversation about the Fiesta Bowl hole-in-one and the conversation we had with the folks from Bird Golf. So hope you enjoy the show. We'll be back again live on the 23rd, which is a Wednesday, when we're doing a live broadcast from the 16th hole at TPC Scottsdale. Until then... Have a great day. It is Straight Down the Middle, and now here's the show. Arizona Boomer Radio brings you Straight Down the Middle, Arizona's only Internet golf show. Straight Down the Middle is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated in partnership with GolfMix.com. GolfMix is your place to read course reviews written by recreational golfers just like you. Learn about the course you're going to play. Check out GolfMix before your next round. Now it's time to hit it straight down the middle.
1: Four. Straight down the
0: middle It went straight down the middle Then it started to hook just a wee, wee bit That's when McKinley lost sight of it That little white pellet has never been found to this day but it went straight down the middle Like they say Whacked down the fairway It went smack down the fairway Then it started to slice just a snitch off line You it with two but it bounced off nine My caddy says as long as
2: you're still
0: in
1: the state you're okay Welcome to
0: Straight Down the Middle, brought to you by Arizona Boomer Radio in conjunction with GolfMix.com, and I'm Pete Peters, and my show co-host today is the inimitable Mr. Kirk Getzinger. Kirk, welcome to welcome to the show again.
1: Well, well, good morning, Pete, and I'm, um, I'm not what you're in an invisible means in my context, but it's always good to be with you, and uh, <laughs> good, good good to get back with you after spending a couple hours in the sunshine out of the, uh, the Biltmore last weekend. Well, that
0: was really fun, wasn't it? We were out there watching some of these people uh, sit out there about, about 145, 150 yards out, trying to put it, uh, put it in the hole for a million dollars. We didn't get a million-dollar winner, but we had four very satisfied players who uh who managed to find their way to the green, and I think they were all uh, ten, 10 feet and in, weren't they, if I remember correctly?
1: They, they were. Uh, the winner, uh, Chris Rudy, was just a little outside of 6 feet. The uh, second and third place winners were just outside of 7. And the fourth place winner was right around 10 feet. And so you you, know, you think about it, and under that kind of pressure, uh, 45 or so people getting four shots inside of 10 feet from 150 yards, that's, that's pretty good.
0: Well it is and those forty five people of those forty five people I don't think we saw more than a dozen of them that were on the green. So uh the rest of them did get the lump of, the rest of them did get the lump
1: in the throat, didn't they? I I'm sure that by the time they left and got into their cars and headed on home the blood pressure went down considerably and the adrenaline kinda of was easing off a little bit. It uh Definitely had to be a very uh, very uh, palm palm sweaty experience for him. That's for sure. But a lot of fun for everybody.
0: It was a lot of fun, and uh, and the one shot that I do recall is when we were all ducking because a guy air mailed one over our heads, left of the green, <laughs> hit into the hit on the cart path or in the uh, the cart uh, storage area up over the roof and out onto the road over there at the Biltmore. And uh, somebody's going to find a golf ball where they had no
1: intention of ever seeing one. I'm sure. Somebody is going to pick that one up, and uh, I think I think if there had been a camera trying to follow that ball, they never would have found it. It's one of those yeah. shots that would have only been found once you, once you saw it on the ground. You know, the story of the gentleman that won, Chris Rudy, was kind of interesting as we got a chance to talk to him afterwards. He came out to the event not knowing that it was going to be a longer shot than what the qualifying shot was. So he brought his couple of wedges, which would have been his 125-yard shot, and then he gets there, and he realizes it's a 150-yard shot. So he borrows someone's 8-iron and makes the winning shot with someone else's club. So that just, that just goes to show any time. It can be your day. You just never know.
0: You you never know. That's absolutely right. And he was just about the most unassuming guy you'd ever imagined. He was saying that he was just sitting around the house uh uh, having a buddy, Mary, watching the football game with friends, and decided on a lark that he'd come out after all. And uh, uh, he had at one point said, Ah, of heck with it, and I'm not going to go. And then look what happens.
1: Yeah, it just, just goes to show you, especially something like that. Just, just takes one good swing, and, uh, and it's all yours.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, Kirk, we've got a guest with us today. His name is Jay Ewing, and he is the uh, founder and proprietor of uh, something called Bird Golf a national golf lessons company and uh... i'm sure that he would have been able to help a lot of those people with their swing out there uh... jay welcome to the uh... welcome to straight down the middle
2: well pete thank you so much it's a great pleasure to be on the show with you and kirk
0: well i'm glad you could make it i know it was on short notice and i'm, and I'm glad you could make it i do appreciate that uh... why don't you give us a little bit of an inf- uh... informational bio on yourself uh... and uh... and also just a touch on uh on what it is that you do and how, uh, and your, your business of, uh, of, of golf, golf lessonry, I think we'll call it for the moment, and, uh, and then we'll get a little more detailed uh,
2: discussion on it once, uh, once we know a little more about it. Cool. Well, thank you very much. What we, when we started 14 years ago, uh, Pete, it, largely most golf schools were kind of group situations which were headed up by one famous person um, where somebody would be taught in a group situation being taught A method or A system and philosophically meaning no disrespect to anybody but we just don't agree with that Um, a really skilled teacher is somebody that understands a great many methods and styles of teaching and they put the right one with the right person rather than teaching everybody all the same stuff so the foundation of our school is really two things we don't do group instruction Um, we only teach folks one or two on one because we feel that that's really the quickest fastest way for somebody to significantly improve But then more importantly, it's going to be who teaches them. All of our staff have been PGA or LPGA professionals for for a minimum of 20 years. They include a National Teacher of the Year and founding teaching editor-in-chief of Golf for Women magazine, um, PGA master professionals, multiple award-winning PGA professionals, uh, six members of two Halls of Fame and so on. So the quality of the instruction that our students receive is second to none. We're the newest member of our um, teaching team is a very special lady by the name of Sandra Palmer, and a lot of your avid golfers would remember her because she won 19 times on the LPGA Tour, including the U.S. Open and being the 1975 Player of the Year. But most importantly, she was mentored by the great Harvey Pennick for 35 years, and Mr. Pennick wrote a chapter of one of his books about her called Our Daughter Sandra. So the experience, as you could imagine, for somebody to spend three, four, or five days with someone like Sandra or any one of our incredible teachers is really amazing, and there's an experience second to none.
0: Now, your schools are located all over the country. Uh and, and particularly I'm uh, seeing as how we're on Arizona Boomer Radio and this show is uh dedicated towards Arizona Golf. Uh I do know that there are several of them right here in Arizona. Uh and it offers people an awful an awful lot of uh locations and options to make it easy for them to uh to find a spot for them. We've got Phoenix, Sedona, Prescott, uh all uh all top-notch facilities and and top-notch locations.
2: Absolutely. We're we're privileged to be partnered with such great properties like Stone Ridge in Prescott, the Sedona Golf Resort, and the Sedona Rouge Hotel up in Sedona, and then, of course, our flagship site, which is the, the amazing Wild Horse Pass Resort and Spa in Chandler. And Wild Horse, of course, in the last 10 years since its opening, has really taken its place as one of the great properties in all the Southwest. The centerpiece for it, uh, of course, for us and our students, most importantly, is the golf courses or are the golf courses. And Whirlwind, which is the golf component of Wild Horse, is really an exceptional facility. It's a 36-hole uh, facility designed by Gary Panks. Um, it hosted the nationwide tour. At that time, it was the nationwide tour for three years. And it's managed by, of course, uh, Troon, the leader in golf course management. And just this last year, Wild Horse was voted the best of Troon, for the second time. So it's the only facility in their prestigious um, array of facilities around the world that's ever won that award twice. So it really is a very, very special place, and we're honored to be partnered with them.
0: Well, uh, Kirk, I want to get you in here, but let me ask one more question first. Uh, when, when you're uh, a student of one of your uh, – at one of your golf stools taking uh taking lessons from your fine staff uh what uh what is the teaching method by that i mean uh are you using videos stills uh, what what technology are you using if any and uh
2: how is that all uh, a lesson package put together absolutely well everything that we do is for our students is customized for them so we, they get to pick the dates, the location, and, of course, we design the curriculum and work with them on the areas of their games that they'd like to work on. So this is all very much personalized. But their packages include digital or video, um, so we do both still um, and visual or moving visuals so that they have a complete visual record of what they did, and they, we create a CD and a DVD for them. Um, but the school days are actually all formatted for them, so we customize all the programs for each person individually.
1: Very nice, Kirk. Have you got something? Yeah, yeah Jay. I was just wondering. Do you um, could you talk a little bit about the options you have in terms of your uh, classes, the the class length? Do you have some that are kind of shorter term, maybe a, a day or two for people who don't quite have as much of available time at one point for struc- instruction versus having some longer term classes where you get to spend uh, more more hours with an instructor? What are some of the different options that you have in terms of somebody signing up with one of your programs?
2: Well, thank you, Kirk. We do uh, at a minimum of two days because we really feel to be effective um, that we need two days that first time to really spend with someone to make a significant difference. So anywhere from two days, and we've designed schools that are actually three and four months long for a couple of young men that wanted to become and have become professionals. Um, so, we can do everything in between, but most of our schools are between two and five days long. Each school day is six hours of instruction plus lunch, so the students spend six and a half seven hours with their teacher and It also includes a playing lesson which we feel is vital. Um, people will do things differently on the driving range because it doesn 't matter there um, it 's a human um, trait to fail comfortably but not uncomfortably as it were so when somebody goes out on the golf course and they're working on a new move if that move doesn't work and they have a couple of bad holes they're going to revert back to what they did before so we feel that when somebody's working with something new that they take that to the golf course and when they see the success of that, that new move happen in a live situation, that's when they've turned a skill and made it into a habit, and, of course, they own it. So um, that's why we feel that the on-course instruction is so vital, in addition to which, of course, you can do things in a live situation that you don't have on the range. So you've got situational things about game management, how you should play the game, how you should approach playing different shots, and so on. So that's for all the reasons we feel that's so important.
0: Well, uh, jay I, I just want to interject here where you were mentioning this on the versus the range versus playing the game uh i I've always been one that I go to the range for the sole purpose of getting loose and having an idea as to what I'm going to be playing like that day. I don't sit there and grind over a big bucket of balls before I go out to play around the golf because. I might get tired. <laughs> you know, I'll leave all my good stuff on the range, whatever good stuff I may have that day. And I just like to have a general feel of the fact that I'm loose and I'm I'm ready to swing. And then when I go to the ra- and on the range, if I find that everything's going a little bit right or going a little bit left, you know, I'll just walk to the tee saying, "Well, chances are this is going to go a little right, so I'm going to make an accommodation." And that's where that's where I play my game. If it manages to straighten out during the course of the uh, course of the round, that's fine. But I I try not to I try not to waste my shots on the range my good shots on the range because I don't have that many of them uh, what do you <laughs> think of, what, what do you think of that philosophy
2: <laughs> well there's a lot of validity to that you know Pete there are two there are two actual places that you should play and learn the game and they're different places uh, practicing is for practicing so that's where someone wants to work on their skills that's what we get to do in depth with our students. But having come to a school and going out to play, you're exactly right. It's sort of like cramming for an exam. You would have probably had a professor in, in college tell you or school to tell you never to cram before an exam. And that's similar to what a lot of people do. They try to find those quick answers on the driving range um, before they go and tee off. The time to practice is at a different time when you're devoting yourself to practicing. Um, so there's a lot of validity to what you say
0: yeah hitting a bucket before I go play does not do me any good it just it just never has and I would venture to say it never will now when i go I did go to the range recently and I went over and I took got myself a bucket of balls and I concentrated on trying to make good contact and that's where I was concentrating that day and I think you're absolutely right, and I think that's a great way for you to uh to uh, promote that with with your students uh the next question I had, and i'm gonna, I know I wanted to get Kirk back in here because he's got to go, but um what I wanted to mention to our listeners and have you expound on a little more is, you said that you have different teachers and they build it for the they build the shots or the or the, the lesson for the individual student because everybody's a little bit different uh Mm -hmm. i think i think that's very important i I, i'll i'll relate this story and uh it was a case when i was covering the skins game years ago and trevino was in the game and he said he said it doesn't make any difference how you get to the ball it's just what what position you're in when you hit it and where the club face is when you hit it so what you look like getting there he said it doesn't make any difference
2: Yep, that's absolutely true. And, you know, a great teacher is able to work around um, all sorts of idiosyncrasies that people might have, our body shapes, our coordination. Um, All these are different factors in how you'd go about teaching the game and teaching it really well.
1: Well, you know, Jim Jim
2: Furyk is is a
0: a a perfect example.
2: example. Yeah, exactly. And, in fact, they did a the PGA tour did uh, they took the top 50 players in the world about 6 or 7 years ago and they all tested with seven irons and they all hit 50 shots do you know who it was that hit it the most accurately jim Furyk. jim Furyk, yeah and so yeah there's no there, there's no one size fits all the key thing is though that people should do is that they develop and hopefully they're working with a coach that'll help them do that but they develop a swing that works for them and they stick to it. The one, um, the one common denominator of all great players is that that's what they do. And I think that most amateurs think that golf pros work on these enormously technical things all the time, and that's actually not true. If you go to a tour event, the best place to actually learn things is to go to the driving range to watch the players practice. Most of the players will have some sort of alignment device pointing them in the right direction. Now, you would think that people that do this so well for so long, they wouldn't know how to aim. That wouldn't be an issue. But when they have a bad round, the great players don't go out and try a bunch of new things like most folks will tend to do, and their friends will give them some tips, and before long they've got 40 swing thoughts, none of which work. But they go back to their model, their how-to, and they do the things that they know to do, and they do them better.
1: Jay, you know, one of the things that um, we all know is that one area that people could really improve their scores is by improving in their short game. And at practice time, at least I've always felt, in the short game on your wedge shots around the green and with the putter pays off uh, very handsomely when you, when you have the time to do that. What are the, some of the things you might do in your golf schools to kind of help people out with their short game because that is something that, you know, look, none of us are going to hit a drive like Bubba Watson, but all of us can get a chip shack closer to the hole than maybe we did before with a little bit of, uh, little bit of practice. What are, what are some of the things you work on with people in the short game area?
2: Well, it's you know, again, there's lots of different methods and styles of, of teaching and working on the short game, which our um, instructors are conversant with. The biggest thing, though, is to get people to really buy into that. Um, Most people will say that and recognize it, but they'll still hit 90% of the times they'll go out and hit their driver. So um, it doesn't sink in. If you go to your club, though, of an afternoon or your course, um, you'll see that the driving range is filled with players, most of whom are hitting a wood or a driver, and there's one or two people on the putting or chipping green. Chances are the person on the chipping green and putting green is your club champion. Um, one of the most fascinating tells, I think, on the PGA Tour, at the very end of the year, um, if you take all of the players on the PGA Tour and all of their rounds, so this includes the guys that missed the cut and so on, what do you think the average Tour player, how many greens in regulation does the average Tour player hit, do you think?
1: I I believe it's around 12, if I remember you're,
2: right. Yeah, you're, you're correct. It's actually a little bit over 11. So, yeah, between 11 and 12, depending on the year. What is their average score?
1: Yeah, their average score is 71, 71 and a half, 72, something like that. So that exactly. You it's, yeah, because
2: they play par 70s, 71s, and suits. So it's, it's actually a fraction of 0.2 over par. So basically, if you take that model, the average tour player misses 7 greens in regulation out of 18 and shoots par. So that's the most telling statistic that um that you could do to, to really help people understand how important the short game is because it is basically the whole game is
1: really played um from a hundred yards and in. I I you know, I think you're exactly right, Jay. It's just uh and I think when you either watch a tournament on T V or watch it in person and you see the shots that they make around the green, that's where you really see so much of their skill level uh on show because they're they're getting balls up and down from positions that the average player you know generally is rarely is comfortable with and uh i I think that I think that's great that you get people to buy into the importance of what the what the short game is uh, means to the to your golf store.
2: Yes, because most people come to us and they want to work on being more consistent or hitting it a bit further, and these are all viable things that we can help them do. But when they, we ask them to do a profile before they come, and most folks say that they have a much better short game than they actually do. So one of our jobs is to help them understand that and understand the importance of devoting equal time to not just the swing, but obviously working on your chipping and putting as well.
0: Well, the interesting thing is, if you if you take a look at your a round of golf of nine holes where you're shooting fifty, uh, the weekend golfer is shooting fifty, and, and you've got uh, you, you've got eighteen holes, and uh, or rather uh, nine holes, and if he's going to take uh, two two shots per hole on putting, there's eighteen of those fifty right there. And then by the time you figure that he hasn't hit the greens 12 uh, 12 uh, at the rate of uh, 12 for 18, he's going to be some chipping, so he's going to be chipping, what, five more times? So all of a sudden his number uh, uh, that he's used up on short game strokes is almost going to be half of what his total strokes are. Uh, It it really does emphasize the fact that uh, that's where you have to have a lot of emphasis.
2: Well, the other thing is too Pete and Kirk it it having a great short game, which is the easiest part of the game, although the most neglected but having a short game a great short game is the easiest part to really um to to excel at um it breeds though because if you have a great short game, it takes a lot of the pressure off your swing so as opposed to thinking that you have to hit every green in regulation and hit it in a certain distance to be able to score, if I know I can get it up and down out of a trash can, it doesn't really matter where I hit it. So all of a sudden that frees me up to swing a whole lot differently. And when I was playing, and I was playing at my
0: very best, that was exactly the case. I knew that I didn't care where I hit it. If I got it out there around two and a quarter, that was fine with me. If I got it close, somewhere near the fringe where I could... So where I could take a chip at it, I could chip in a putt to get down. Uh, that's fine. Or even if I chipped in, and and got down in two, I'm still playing even fives at uh, at for, at 45 for nine holes and a couple of breaks after that. All before you know it, I'm at 41, 42, and I'm and I'm playing to a pretty decent handicap for a hack weekend golfer. And that, Absolutely. And, that, and that's kind of the way I looked at it as when as far as structuring my game. Now it's a little different now because I haven't played, but. Uh, I I would be disappointed if I didn't shoot 85 or better on almost any golf course I went to with that philosophy.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yep.
0: Kirk, anything else?
1: Uh, Jay, I just want to ask you one thing about some of the, maybe the, the beginner golfers or the people that play on a very casual basis or a very, very, you know, very limited basis. We all know in the golf business how important it is to get people in, involved in the game and maybe people that haven't played for a while try to try to bring them back to the game. What are, can, can you talk a little bit about some of the people perhaps that you've seen that aren't uh, what we define as avid golfers, people that play every, you know, 20 or 30 times a year, but people that have come to your schools who are more beginner or recreational golfers but really want to improve their game and some of the things that you've done to really help them get fired up and become regular golfers rather than casual golfers.
2: Absolutely. Well, we've had the great... Good fortune over the years, Kirk, to be involved with lots of folks and have introduced them um, to the game. And one case in point would be Barb and Don Raymond, who are marvelous students of ours from the Northern California area. And we got the great good fortune to actually introduce them to golf 11 years ago with their teacher, Jim Sampson. And Jim is really a teacher without peer. He's one of our founding professionals, founding teaching professionals of the school. But Don and Barb worked diligently with Jim. They had never held a golf club before. Um, We saw them 11 years ago, and they wouldn't mind telling you that they were in their 60s at that time. But golf has really become a passion for them. In the last 11 years, Don and Barb have just attended their 8th Invitational, which is our annual tournament at Wild Horse Pass that we do, which is a four-day pro-am. And Don had just announced that they have now both played over a 1,000 rounds of golf. So golf has really become a huge passion for them. And for us to have an opportunity to have shared that journey and continue to share that journey with folks like Don and Barb is magic, and it makes what we do so special.
1: That That is great. That is really great to hear about that, Jay, that people uh, who, who've come and spent time with your instruction now are really really devoted golfers, and those are, those are the kind of stories that make the game great. It really is. And, you know, it's a game for everybody.
2: Um, We feel that our concept, because it is an extended period of time that obviously someone spends with their teacher, but it allows someone to build skills and turn those skills into habits so much more quickly and get them game ready. But, you know, even if people are just... um, at at the time that they're starting out the the game and they're thinking of starting it, I would encourage them to always take lessons with somebody that's either a PGA or LPGA professional locally. One of the things that we notice, Kurt, is that if, if we get somebody who's never played, they're a raw palette. It's an easy painting to make. When somebody's played for 20 years and they haven't taken any lessons and they need to change some habits that are not quite what they'd like, it's a lot harder to change a bad habit than it is to create a good one. So if somebody's thinking about taking the game up, I would really encourage them to see their PGA or LPGA professionals locally, so that that way they get off to a really good start.
0: Well, uh, Kirk, I don't know. I don't know what you're looking looking like on time. It's uh, it's it's 9:26. I just wanted to, wondered if you had another question or so you wanted to ask Jay before you had to uh, depart.
1: Yeah, I think I think I'm all set, Jay. It's been a real real pleasure to chat with you, and I wish you continued success with Bird Golf, and uh, look forward to hearing from hearing about your success stories in the future.
2: Well, thank you, and Golf Mix so much for having us on, Kirk. We appreciate this opportunity to speak to you very much, and of course, your listeners as well. So, thank you so very much.
1: Well, very good, Pete. I will be chatting with you uh, next week. then. sounds great. I'm sure we'll talk
0: before then. Thanks, Kirk. Oh, have, a, have a great day. Thanks. Thank you. You, too. Take care now. Well, Kirk, I uh, – rather, uh, Jay, I'm sorry. I've got a few uh, few more questions I want to talk to you about, a couple other things. Uh, before we do that, uh, let me play these uh, these few uh, commercial things that we have for about two, two minutes and 30 seconds, and we'll be right back with more conversation. That would be great. The Boomer and the Babe are the publishers of Boomer Series books. Our authors have their own shows on the Boomer and the Babe Network. We encourage you to listen. Ron Naraki, author of the forthcoming book, The Ten Commandments of Investing, is the host of Wealth DNA, a financial show about real estate investment. Learn how to build and manage your portfolio. Ron hosts the show, and he always has good information to pass along, as do his guests. Listen to WealthDNA on the second and fourth Monday of the month at 8 a.m. Arizona time. Tom Ligering is another Boomer Series author. His book, Success or Failure, The Choice is Yours, is the basis of the show he does with his broadcast partner, Dr. Terry Munther. Listen to Success or Failure with Tom and Terry on the fourth Wednesday of every month at 9 a.m. Arizona time. Learn how you can maximize your performance in business and in life. The methods you employ can either help or hinder. The choice is yours. Before you book your next round of golf in Arizona, go see what golfers just like you are saying about the courses you want to play at golfmix.com. While you're there, write a review of the last course you played and get $10 off your next purchase at Vans Golf Shops. And enter into our Greenskeeper of the Year contest for a chance to win a foursome at the home of the Waste Management Phoenix Open, the stadium course at TPC Scottsdale. So check out Golfmix, Arizona's leading golf course review site and mobile app. What are you waiting for? Yeah, at golfmix.com. The Boomer and the Babe are proud to be affiliated with Valley View Community Food Bank, where the food is always free. Valley View is now serving Phoenix from their new 36,000-square-foot location at West Peoria and 107th Avenue in Sun City, Arizona. The new location houses the Food Bank, Feeding Arizona, and the Valley View Thrift Store. Feeding Arizona delivers food to other food banks and food pantries that are in need. If you're looking for a 501 3 to support, go to ValleyviewCommunityFoodBank.com. All donations are welcome, be it food, money, or volunteer hours. No donation is too small. Get a hold of Jesse Ramirez, founder and director, and say, I want to help. Valley View Community Food Bank, where the food is always free. And we are back. This is Straight Down the Middle on Arizona Boomer Radio, and we're talking with Jay Ewing. Jay is the, uh, I guess you're the founder, is that right, Jay, of uh, Bird Golf? Hello, Jay. There we go. I got yes. you back now. I was i was saying, I guess uh, you're the founder of uh, uh, Bird Golf, is that correct?
2: I am indeed. Yep, I'm the founder and director of instruction for the Academy, yes.
0: And uh, you you started this uh, – I know you you told us a little bit at the beginning of the show about uh, your, your your starting it and the philosophies of it and so on and so forth. But what was it that, uh, that pushed you over the edge, so to speak, to say, hey, I've got to do it this way?
2: Well, it's just, there. you know, there's two core philosophies that we really believe, Pete, and, of course, one of them is that group instruction is not the most effective way for people to really learn because everybody is different. And that a really skilled teacher is that person that understands different styles and methods, and rather than teaching a cookie-cutter situation or a cookie-cutter version of the golf swing, they're able to teach people of all shapes and sizes and do so successfully, and that they don't teach them all the same stuff, Um, in addition to which we actually work extensively with our students on the metal part of the game and we're very honored to be able to be partnered with Kerry Mumford. Kerry um, is really a legend in our business. He was back in the seventies one of the very first golf sports psychologists and we do profiles with people in advance to find out how they best respond to information, so how it's best for us to teach them, because, again, everybody's a different person. So those combination of things really separates us from any other golf school in the world. So it sounds like there's as much preparation for teaching as there is teaching. Oh, very much so. And, yeah, everybody is different, and that's that's a key integral part of what we believe. Very much so, yes.
0: Uh, how long, uh, you, you, here's, we hear these stories about the pros, and the most famous story you hear uh, all the time, regardless of what tournament you're watching, he's in it. Uh, Tiger Woods is working on his swing. He's still trying to hone in his swing. And I'm so tired of this guy trying to hone in his swing. This guy is one of the greatest golfers, if not the greatest golfer in the world. How can he have to hone in or
2: work on his swing? What
0: could he possibly be doing?
2: Well, you know, Pete, it's, he's he's extraordinary on many levels. Um, personally, and and everybody, of course, is different, and I guess, in our industry, I think that his swing in the, let's call it the Harmon era, which was from 1996 to 2001 when he was working with Butch Harmon, I think, um, or 2002, that's during the time that he also won the Tiger Slam. I think his swing technically during that time was the best swing I've ever seen, ever. Um, Uh, Hank Haney is a great teacher. I respect Hank tremendously. He spent the next seven years with him um, and obviously had great success with Hank, too. He won several major championships there. But the nuances of his swing were a little bit different. And now he's doing what's sort of a version of the stack and tilt with his coach today. I think that really you're looking at the only person that could have made three complete swing overhauls um, work. I don't know any other player in the world that would have had the skill and patience to develop three swings. So, um, you know, while he's, he's – he, I would never recommend that somebody does that. He He is making it work. And this year, coming back to win three tournaments – You could pretty safely say that he's back. He hasn't won a major in four years, but I think it's only a matter of time before he starts winning those again, too. So he is extraordinary. But for my money, Pete, um, his swing for that six years that he was working with Butch Harmon was flawless. It was just amazing. So if it was me, I would have told him never to change from that.
0: Well, that's what I thought too, and I and I and I certainly don't have nearly the expertise that you have. But why in the world would you know? I'm kind of a believer if it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, Why in the world would you change something you're that successful with?
2: Well, part of what it is is that what he was doing with Hank apparently put a lot of stress on certain body parts, most particularly his knees. You yeah. know that was famously highlighted when he won the open on one leg really um <laughs> when he won in the playoff against Rocco a few years ago, which of course was his last major that he won but um there was the, there's a big school of thought that that played a big part in why he is changing to this sort of stack and tilt version, which has less moving body pieces and more manageable. Of course, he's also changed his ball flight in doing that. Um, He hits the ball now predominantly left to right. He really favors a fade. So um, that's a shot that he's becoming comfortable with. But it takes a long time for a player, even of his magnitude, to get comfortable making changes like he's made. And it is, as I said, it's part of what makes him so extraordinary that he can do it. Um, I don't know any other player in history that could have gone through basically three swing makeovers in a 15-year period and be as extraordinary as he has been.
0: How long, how long does it take for somebody to establish a new swing and have it become such that they can be repeating
2: it when they go out time after time after time? I'm talking about an average golfer like myself. You know it varies pete um it's it, it's how much attention they're getting as far as in the learning process of that. We feel that if someone gives us three days of their time that they can make significant changes and that they will be lasting changes. Uh, one of the other things that we do as a school, which is unique is we want to have a continuing relationship with our students, so when their school's over. Part of their school is that they will have unlimited remote contact with their teachers. So we live in an age today, of course, that's marvelous. We can do things we couldn't do 10 or 15 years ago. And if someone sends their teacher a picture or, better yet, a video clip, and most phones have those components on them today, and they send that to their teacher, we'll keep helping them long distance for as long as they'd like. And that's all included in the cost of the school. So we really feel that somebody that's serious about their game, they need to continually be working at it. And if the greatest players in the world, Pete, all have a coach, that says something to the rest of us that, you know, it's probably a good idea to have somebody watching us as well.
0: Absolutely, the case I'm sure. Tell us a little bit about your packages themselves. Uh, What are they? I'm not looking for necessary pricing, but maybe if you can give us a price range. uh, How inclusive are they? uh, What's the difference between the two day and the three day and the four day and so on and so forth? What what gets added on to to make the the package more inclusive?
2: Absolutely. Well, it's a pretty comprehensive package because our standard packaging also includes accommodations, which are upgraded accommodations at each of our 18 locations. All of the formats are either six or eight hours of instruction each day plus lunch, so those things are included, as are, of course, the DVD and the CD, the the visual record that we create and make for our students, Um, in addition to which they also have unlimited playing privileges at all of our facilities for the duration of their school and the hotel accommodations as well. So all of our packages include all those things. They include the mental game profile with Carrie Mumford, the unlimited remote follow-up with their teacher, and the packages begin at twelve hundred, and then they go up to for a five-day one-on-one school fifty one fifty, but and everything in between. But if people are interested in finding out, they could visit our website at birdgolf.com, dot com, which is b i r d g o l f dot com, and the website's pretty comprehensive. It'll introduce them to all of our packages and professionals, and of course our sites as well.
0: Well, I guess it's pretty safe to say that they're going to get a, a lot of hands-on. They're going to be able to hit a lot of golf balls, and um, uh, form some pretty
2: good calluses.
1: <laughs> well,
2: yeah, it's it's the old adage, you know, no pain, no gain. Pete and we we um, we wish that we could wave a magic wand at someone and make them better, but I'm afraid that vehicle hasn't been invented yet. So, oh, that's uh, true. you know, it does take a little work. And um, you know, Mr. Hogan, the great Ben Hogan, he called digging. He called practicing digging in the dirt. Um, So there's a there yeah it it sort of goes hand in hand with how much you put into it you're going to get out of it and if somebody's ready to put the time into it absolutely they're going to improve.
0: Absolutely, there's no doubt about it. I know I've, uh, on occasion, I've taken a, a couple of lessons, uh, just uh, hit and miss here and there, from a club pro or whatever the case might be. I said, Hey, I'm really having trouble getting my myself together here. Can you, can you give me a couple of hints? And he, he would look at it and he'd go, Try this, try this, boom. And I was, I've always been fortunate enough in my younger days that I'd be able to make whatever kind of a move he thought I should make, within reason. To so the point that I would see some a little bit of improvement uh, uh-huh. i' I've never I've never been one to hit the ball fifty mile fifty miles down the middle um I wish I could, but that, that was never the case uh it, but let's talk about distance Just this kind of uh starting to wrap this up a little bit uh, in our conversation distance does play uh play a part in the golf game and it uh, a, a fair amount of distance uh is always an advantage I would think for the most part uh but nonetheless it's not the be all and end all but what happen? what do you help people with and what can you can suggest to people uh, as far as distance is concerned what say the, is there a couple of thoughts maybe not a swing move but a couple of thoughts with regard to uh,
2: getting the most distance that you might be able to get out of your swing, whatever swing it is. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, it has become today's modern. And, and again, I think we, you know, the, the tour players, both men and women, are so visible today, Pete, that we tend to think it's a game played by them. But, really, golf is a game for all the people that watch them. Um, that's right. the great majority of golfers, so the everyday golfer. And, you know, people would want to be careful comparing themselves to some of these kids. They they play a different game than I grew up playing 35, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: they Absolutely. they hit
2: the bull so much further. It's uh, like the great line that Jack or Mr. Jones said when Jack Nicklaus won his first Masters at Augustine You know that was the scoring record until Tiger broke that in 1996. But he shot 17 under par, and I think he won by nine strokes or ten strokes or something. And but Mr. Jones and Nicklaus, you know, in his day and in his time, he was longer than anybody else by uh, the way Tiger was when he first came on the scene um but mr jones said to uh nicholas at the uh prize giving ceremony he said young man you play a game with which i'm not familiar and you know these touring players today they they hit it a long way but the so it's it's probably not logical that every all of us can hit it that far however one thing we know really really helps and we were actually the very first school that did this we have a golf-specific yoga programs. So these are yoga stretching exercises. Um, If people want to, golf and hitting it further is much more about flexibility than it is about raw power and strength. So if somebody increases their flexibility and there's all sorts of training aids and sticks and so on that you can do this with, stretching exercises or yoga exercises, that's the greatest way to increase your distance. Um, The more flexible you are, the more range of motion that you have, then um, the further you're going to hit a golf ball. So if you've got a yoga studio, we think yoga is – most of the top players have Pilates machines. Yoga um, is a very big part of their fitness regimens now. But if, if somebody would um, really work on their flexibility, then they're going to hit the ball further.
0: Flexibility. Well, that would certainly help me because I am less than flexible. <laughs> I walk around <laughs> like a two by four on a golf course, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to mention this one little anecdote with regard to regard to distance and how distance has increased over the years. In 1984, I had the very good fortune of playing in the Sandy William, San Diego Andy Williams Open Pro Am, uh, and I played with my with my uh, host pro for my foursome was Fuzzy Zeller. Oh great
2: yeah.
0: Uh, first of all no nobody to have more fun with than fuzzy zeller on a golf course which absolutely when I walked when I won won him in the drawing uh, for the pairings the pairings party I mean I I was I didn't sleep all night long. That's uh, great. but but nonetheless I went to the first tee and and they announced us and of course they announced zeller and and you're just a nervous wreck you are absolutely a nervous wreck I can't say anything more about it. I can remember almost every shot on 18, uh, the 18 holes I played on the north course at, uh, at Torrey Pines in San Diego. I, to this day, I can remember almost every shot. But the one I remember in particular is on number 18, which is a relatively short par-5 hole, and I hit what I thought was a phenomenal, phenomenal drive, and for me it was, and I'm hitting from the whites, regulation tees, and, of course, he's all the way back on the championship tees, and he hits a three-wood from back there, and he flies me by 30 yards
1: <laughs> and I just went,
0: oh my gosh And I'm sitting out there And I'm looking at the I'm looking at the hole up there And I said, well if I get really lucky And hit a hard spot I might be able to roll this one on So I hit a three wood And I get onto the very front of the green And he's 30 yards past me And he hits, I think it was a seven iron About 15 feet right of the hole Pin high And I just went, there's the difference There <laughs> is the difference yeah. Until you've stood next to them And hit with them you don't realize how – the old thing that they used to advertise, these guys are good. They right. are good, aren't they? They are really, really good.
2: They are They are really amazingly good. And um, I don't think people really – you know, the, one of the stats that's always a little bit skewed is they talk about driving distance. And sure enough, I'd rather imagine Bubba is about the longest player out there. But a lot of those holes, you know, they're picked randomly um, at each event. So a lot of times those guys are hitting like a three-iron or a utility wood of some kind on the driving distance holes. So the driving distance, which is in the 300s now, it's probably 20 or 30 yards longer than that. And um, they hit it. You know, one of the things that Tiger did is he made golf cool. Um, When I was growing up, the kids that played on the golf team, Pete, were the kids that really didn't play other sports. Right. you know today what you're seeing is with the advent of people like um Ernie Els who's a big tall very strong man or Vijay Singh you're seeing people and especially the young Brigade of players coming up today, you know the twenty somethings, these kids that are six, two, six, three, you know the great players in history, Nicholas was five or is five nine Gary players five seven mr palmer's five eight, Ben Hogan was five eight, so they've all been in that sort of genre. But if somebody's bigger and stronger as they are today, for sure they're going to hit the ball further. That's just physics. And you're seeing today athletes learn to play the game at an early age. So you're seeing some of these incredibly gifted kids that might have played football or baseball 20 or 30 years ago, but now they're learning to love golf at an early age, and they're going to be physically better and more dominant. So you're going to just see this get that, that, that whole um, era is expanding, and these kids are getting better and better and better, and I think it's just phenomenal for the game. But um, it's not realistic for the rest of us to expect to hit 350 yard drives. I think unless we're downwind and there's a cart path nearby. No, so. exactly. And exactly. <laughs> somebody
0: kicking it when it starts to stop. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and I can I can I can appreciate that, and I can I can relate to that. And I'll tell you how I do that. I have a daughter who is now an, uh, an adult woman with a family of her own. But when she was in high school, she was a very, very good softball player, women's softball Mm -hmm. player, excellent softball player. She had one basic problem. She had all the attributes, great glove, left-handed, fast, um, fearless, uh, hit the ball well, could uh, could slap the ball on the infield and beat it out, but she had one problem. She was five foot two inches tall. Okay. And I and I and I talked to uh, a, a couple of uh, coaches uh, that were out and looking at these kids, and they loved her. They absolutely loved her desire. They loved everything about her. But they said to me straight out, she said, they said, "Pete, she's five two. The girl that we're looking at, standing right next to her, is five six. They can take the same first, second, and third stride, and the five six person will have covered three feet more. So that right. means she gets to, she gets to more balls." and right. that was, and that was the problem. Uh yeah. and, and it's that way in golf. If you're if you're 5 foot 8 and you got an arc to the golf
2: ball, if you're 6 foot 3, you got a bigger arc and you generate more club speed. That's one of the sad things I think actually Pete is, you know, players like uh Corey Paven who mm. never hit the ball very far but had a magnificent short game. That player probably can't compete in this new era. And he was a great, he still is a great shot maker, but he just doesn't hit the ball far enough to really be able to compete. You know, the courses are getting longer and longer. So the downside to all this, because it is very exciting to watch all this and watch these uh, young people get better and better, but the the sad part, the downside to that is players like Corey Pavin in the next few years and for remainder, I suppose, they're just not going to be able to compete with these these kids that hit it so far yeah
0: it, it really is i mean the, the the physicality of it is is what starts to take over at
2: some point it is and as i said earlier you know the 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 whole game has changed it it went from a sort of game that your parents or grandparents played to now being a cool game um lots of young people and and i would credit tiger actually more than anybody else for making that happen too um, but it has become a cool game for kids to learn, which is magic. I think that a child that learns this game has the foundation of playing it for a lifetime, and that's the most magical part of it all. It absolutely
0: is. Well, Jay, I want to thank you for being with me today and uh, and with Kirk when he was here. Uh, we certainly enjoyed the conversation and uh, I'm very impressed with uh, what it is that you're doing. And um, uh, I, I hope you, uh, I hope you have a lot more success than you've already had. So uh, we always wrap these things up with uh, our guests by saying, uh, "Here's your opportunity to give your shameless self-promotion. So uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us all about how people can get hold of you, take a look at your uh,
2: packages, and what it is that you offer uh, at Bird Golf." Well thank you so much Pete it's really been my privilege to be on your show with you and Kirk and we really appreciate this chance to tell your listeners about bird golf so thank you so very much for allowing that um but if people would like more information we'd love to have the chance to speak with them live um they can reach us on our toll free number which is 877 424 7346 I'll repeat that if I can it's 877-424-7346 or visit our website at www.birdgolf.com www.birdgolf, or they can reach us also um, via email or they can email me directly at jjy at birdgolf, B-I-R-D-G-O-L-F dot com, and we'd love to hear from your listeners. But thank you so much for this opportunity to be a part of your show. We appreciate it very, very much, Pete.
0: Thank you very much, and I appreciate you getting on with such short notice. Uh, you've uh done a great job of, of filling a void that was there unexpectedly for us, and we do appreciate the fact that you did that for us as well. So good luck in everything that you're doing. I'm sure we'll talk again later. I'm going to be talking to your PR folks with regard to having you on our national show at some point in the future, so we'll take a look at doing that as well.
2: Well, we'd love to have that chance as well, Pete. In the meantime, thank you so much and continued great success for your show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care now. Thank you so much.
0: And that was our conversation today with Mr. Jay Ewing of Bird Golf, BirdGolf.com, and uh, and he's uh, somebody that you would uh, want to make sure that you uh, get in touch with if you're looking for lessons extraordinaire. He has the uh, the wherewithal and the classes and the lesson instructors teaching teaching pros, all of them uh, LPGA and PGA background a uh, tremendous bunch of folks that can help you with your game. Uh, there's not many of us out there that don't need to have a little help with our game, so uh, we're hoping that uh, you'll take a take a gander at BirdGolf, and that's BirdGolf.com, and uh, they will be able to fit you up with some lessons, depending on what your needs are, because they're all customized to you. Well, with that, we're going to say goodbye for today. We're going to be back again later this uh, in about an hour from now with our next show, which is the Boomer and the Babe show, and we're going to be talking about Adult addictions uh not a pleasant topic, but one that is more and more uh in the news, I think as we go along as the boomers age and they bring their addictions or they find their addictions based on what's going on around them, so we're gonna be taking a look at that conversation and having that conversation in our next show. But with that, we'll say goodbye at this point. take care, have a great day, anybody, everybody, and hope you can hit it straight down the middle. Take care. You've been listening to Straight Down the Middle on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com.